You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Spirit, we do thank you and praise you that you are a good, kind, and gracious God and that you have revealed yourself fully to us in the person of Jesus. We thank you for your word that bears witness to him. And we pray now that the Holy Spirit would illumine the reading and preaching of your word, that it would not be dark, but light to us, and that we would respond to your word with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Good morning, friends. It's great to see you. Um, Happy Labor Day weekend. Glad you can be here with us today. Uh, we, um, if you weren't with us last week, we er, started a new sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a, one of the three, what is called wisdom literature books in the Old Testament, along with Proverbs um, and the book of Job. And we're going to be parked here for most of the fall. And we're calling this study, How to Be Human, Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning. Because essentially that's what this book is about. It's about how to live in a really complex and baffling world that we live in. And yet, live a really beautiful and meaningful life. Um, And I think that all of us in the confused and chaotic world that we live in are looking to do that. Um, So uh, we started with Ecclesiastes 1 last week. So if you have a Bible, um, you can open it up to Ecclesiastes 1, or you can open up an app on your phone, or you can just listen um, as Mel uh, reads to us from Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18, and then chapter 2, 12 through 17. So let's hear God's word. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked? cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise 
like the fool, will not be long remembered, and the days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's, it's great to see you all looking so good today. Um, it really is. I had this, <laughs> this vision this week of some of you lying on your couch in your pajamas covered in Doritos and beer cans, just yelling, meaningless, at the dog. Um, and so I really am glad that that's not where you are today, or maybe some of you are watching online, and if so, welcome. Um, so if you weren't here last week, last week we were introduced to our teacher, uh, that's the Hebrew word kohelet, which just simply means teacher. And we learned from our teacher that something you probably already know, that life is absurd. He used the word, do you remember the word that he used many, many times in Hebrew? Hebel, hebel, that life is hebel, which, which really means life is absurd or doesn't make any sense. It's a world of beauty and brokenness, a world of joy and despair, of glory and sorrow. Our world is a beautiful befuddling, horrible, holy, tragic, sacred thing. And our world is all of those things, right? And so he's asking, okay, given the world that we live in, given the absurdity of our world, how can I, and how can you as a human being, live a meaningful life? How do I find how to live a life of meaning and purpose in a world as complicated and baffling as the one that we live in? That's the big question of the book, okay? So what Kohelet does is he embarks on a great quest. It's a quest to find the meaning of life. But what he's trying to do is he's saying, okay, let me just try out all these different things to see if something, something will help me find meaning and purpose in this world. So what we're going to discover over today and the next weeks to come is that he's going to experiment with all of these different things. He's going to try out pleasure and he's going to try out power, and he's going to try out money, and he's going to try out success, and he's going to try out work, and he's going to try out uh, ambition, and he's going to try on all these different things to see if any of these things can help bring meaning to his life, and he's going to be able to do it in a way that is far beyond what any of us are going to be able to do because he's so powerful and wealthy. And then he's going to come back and report back to us on what he found, whether there is any real value in anything under the sun, Okay. So he's be, the, the search begins today, and it begins with wisdom, wisdom, knowledge, learning. Maybe he thinks, maybe if I can understand the world, maybe if I can crack the nut, the, the secrets of this baffling world, maybe then I can have greater control over the world, greater mastery over the world. Maybe it won't be so overwhelming. So he's trying to ask, maybe wisdom is the key to a meaningful life. Okay, so let's join him in the search. First, the search for wisdom. The first thing Kohelet tries to do is understand this confusing world. He says, verse 12, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And he says in verse 16, and then in verse 12 of chapter two, I have given myself, which is a very earnest uh, Action. I've given myself to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. So 
he's basically like, okay, this world's absurd. We all know that, right? It doesn't make any sense. So what if I learn enough and get educated enough and work hard enough to grow in knowledge, maybe understand the world, I can unlock the secrets and the principles of how best to live as a human in this world. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Any of y'all ever um, try to learn a, a foreign language as an adult? You know, maybe you Duolingo every day or something. It's hard to do. And, and the reason is, is because in order to really learn a language, you have to learn the rules of that language to otherwise decipher what sounds like a bunch of gibberish, you know? So I've heard that English can be a really challenging language to learn as an adult, and partly because there are so many rules for English, things like I before E except after C, and it's very confusing. But the more you learn the rules and the principles of the language, the more you can master it. And he thinks maybe life is like that, right? Maybe if I can just learn the rules of life and the more I can learn about how life works best, the more mastery I can have over my life. And this is not an ancient experiment. We do this all the time, right? Look around, y'all, right? We get, our, we get our education. You guys are a very educated bunch. We get our educations. We get our degrees. We sign up for gym memberships. We try out new diet plans. We learn about 10 principles for this and five rules for this. We hire financial advisors and life coaches. We devour podcasts and we get all the best-selling, you know, life plan books with the hope that if I can just get enough information, if I can just learn enough about the right principles for living, then maybe I can control the outcomes of my life and life won't feel quite so overwhelming. Are you guys resonating with what I'm talking about? Do you see, do you see this everywhere, right? The interesting thing is, is that there's a whole book in the Bible that reinforces this idea. It's called the book of Proverbs. Um, and in the book of Proverbs... Wisdom is held up as the great virtue that ultimately leads to a good and blessed life. So, for example, Proverbs 3 says this, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, listen to this, for wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. So much of Proverbs. Anybody ever read the book of Proverbs in here? So much of Proverbs, and you'll know this, so much of Proverbs is about if you do this, then this will happen, right? Like if you do the right things and keep the right path and follow the way of wisdom, that will lead to a good and prosperous life. But if you do the wrong things and you go the destructive and foolish path, then that will lead to destruction, right? So in some ways, that's what Kohelet wants to discover. Is that true? Does that work? Does life work that way? Is life that black and white? Is it really true that I can make certain choices and follow certain rules? And if I learn a much, as much as I can about these things, then that will inevitably lead to a good life and I can control an otherwise chaotic existence. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if we could just learn the right rules and then life would work out the way we want it to? Is that the way life works? No, it is not. And so the problem is... The problem is, is that if you have lived on this planet, even for a little while, and I think most of you have, you know that things don't really turn out this way. See, often we find that just like when it comes to learning the English language, yes, there are so many good rules, but guess what? There are so many what? Exceptions, right? So yeah, I before E, except after C, but then you meet your foreign caffeinated neighbor who owns eight beige sleighs. And there's like six exceptions right there to the rule, right? There's so many exceptions. Life 
rarely goes the way that we hoped for, and it often results in a way exactly opposite of what we planned for. Often, the right rules don't work out. So a few examples. The guy, let's just imagine this, guy who's extremely fastidious about his health, and he works out and goes to the gym four or five times a week, and he only eats whole foods and without any antibiotics, and he gets enough sleep, and he checks his cholesterol, and he's you know, extremely... Uh, committed to living a healthy lifestyle, he gets cancer, 37, dead in a year. And then you got another guy over here, like Keith Richards, you know, the chief, the guitarist from the Rolling Stones, who is just like an infamous heroin addict, who's an alcoholic, who's a chain smoker, wild and hard living, and he's 79, going on 80, and he's going strong. What in the world, right? This is absurd. Or think about this, a parent who prays and prays for their child and, you know, plays Mozart to her in the womb and, and, and you know, reads all the right parenting books and shows up at all the soccer games, right? They're, who's just like the exceptional parent. Their kid walks away from their faith and re- goes off the rails and rejects the good way. Well, well, this other parent who's unintentional and neglectful and just leaves the TV on all day, you know, their kids end up wise and mature and kind. It's just absurd. Or the spouse who is conscientious and kind and seeks to live a Christ-centered marriage. You know, she has a marriage that completely falls apart. While you watch a friend who's selfish and rude and mean-spirited, who has this marriage that just seems to flourish. It's absurd. Or this person is generous to the poor and volunteers at the health clinic and ends up dying with little to her name and then the crook exploits the poor and gets wealthier and wealthier and invades justice every single time. You see, it's absurd. Life just doesn't work the way we think the rules tell us it's supposed to. And this is why Kohelet says in verse 17 of chapter one, I gave myself to the study of wisdom, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief, or as the message translation puts it, the more you know, the more you hurt. Because he discovers that growing in wisdom doesn't make the world less confusing. He actually gets more confused and is more baffling. And and the more he learns, the more broken he realizes the world actually is. He realizes even more how absurd existence is and that nothing really seems to happen with any rhyme or reason whatsoever. Our formulas for life, while sometimes helpful, are ultimately not reliable. Why? Because life's absurd. The world is baffling. Things never turn out the way that the rules and formulas promise they will. Because verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. There is, y'all, oh my gosh, there's just something about the nature of our world that is so brent, so broken, so twisted that any amount of rules and formulas and principles just don't set it right. There are people that you just cannot manage. And there are problems that you just cannot fix. And there are pressures that you cannot escape. And the rules don't work. And knowing right and wrong makes no difference. It's like trying to, you know, trying to reshape a crumpled fender with your hands, trying to make life work the way you want it to, is a fruitless endeavor. It's like bottling the wind. See, there's some of you who are nodding in their heads because you, 
you understand this. Because you've been, been a victim of the absurdity of the world. <laughs> because you've been hurt and you've been broken. And, and, and the rules didn't work for you. There's a lot of you in here I think are like that. But there's some of you in here who this isn't resonating because maybe the formulas have worked out really well for you. And maybe you're one of those parents who read all the best parenting books and your kids are fabulous. And that's okay, right? I'm not trying to rain on your parade, but Kohelet is. Um, because, because he says right here in chapter two, verse 13, yeah, wisdom is better than folly. Light is better than darkness. Yeah, sure. It's good to be wise. It's good to follow the righteous path. And sometimes that works out for you. But in the end, he says, it's meaningless because the same fate overtakes both the wise and the fool. You know, your great grandparents who you can't even remember their first names, like you have no idea whether they were good and moral people who lived a virtuous life or they were wicked people who lived a foolish life. And at this point, it doesn't even matter because they're dead and they're forgotten. Proverbs says, a good man plus trust in God equals a good and blessed life. Kohelet says, a good man plus trust in God dies like a fool. Yeah, so pursue virtue. Keep the rules. Be wise. Try it. It doesn't prevent cancer. It doesn't stop dementia. It doesn't keep your kids safe. It doesn't stop hurricanes. And it certainly doesn't stop death. So that's why he concludes in the end, it's all hebel. He's, he concludes with this devastating statement in chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because what is done under the sun is grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Okay. So what do we do? How do we proceed, right? Does it even matter the way you live? If every card you play can get trumped, then why bother caring about playing the game of life at all, right? If there's no discernible payoff for living a wise and moral life, why even bother? Well, one way people handle the absurdity of the world is through nihilism. Nihilism is the idea that ultimately life is indeed meaningless. This is, you know, what some people do is they look out on a world that appears to operate without any rhyme or reason to it, and they conclude that that's because there isn't, right? We're just here by accident. There's no moral order to the universe. We're all just nothing but featherless bipeds on the evolutionary spectrum, and there's no ultimate order to anything. So Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist scientist, writes this. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So what Dawkins says, the courageous thing to do is when you look out on a world that is full of suffering and doesn't seem to make any sense, don't try to make any sense of it because there isn't. It's meaningless. So just try to be happy and don't hurt anyone. Or a slightly lighter exhortation from the Indigo Girls, their song recently made famous again by Barbie. That's a Barbie reference two weeks in a row, y'all. I'm going <laughs> to keep on going with that. You know, I went to the doctor, I went to the mountains, I looked to the children, I drank from the fountains. There's more than one answer to this question pointing me in a crooked line, and the less I seek a source from some definitive, what? The closer I am to find, right? So in other words, what they're saying is don't even attempt to figure it out. Don't even attempt it. There are no formulas. 
There's no right and wrong. There are no rules. The less you seek a definitive, the less you seek wisdom, the better off you'll be. Ignorance is bliss. Just figure out what works for you and be happy. That's nihilism. And you can go that way. I don't rec recommend it. On the clear opposite end of the spectrum, in the way that we try to handle an absurd world, is legalism, right? This is the approach of many religious people. In order to stave off a scary and chaotic world, here's what we do. Build a bubble and hide inside. Manufacture an existence where the rules actually seem to work for most people. And so this is the mindset of Job's friends. Oh, Job, you're suffering. You must have done something wrong. What was it? Come on, tell me. You must have done something wrong because that's the way the world works. Or Jesus' disciples, and they see this blind man in John 9. Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, because somebody had to mess up because that's the way the rules work. Life is scary. And so sometimes religious people feel like we can double down and insist that life works out in a certain way when you do certain things, because if I can explain why things happen, then life is less scary. So here's two options of how to handle a scary, absurd world. Nihilism or legalism, A or B, which do you think is the right way? Class, anyone? C, yes, I'm glad someone said C. <laughs> this is where... Um, this, is, this is where we, remember what I said last week that Ecclesiastes is true, but thank God it's not the whole truth. This is where we must look beyond Kohelet to the person of Jesus. Let's ask this. How does Jesus handle the absurd world we live in? Well, first of all, on the one hand, he does affirm there is a true order and meaning to the world, right? Jesus affirms a good creator God. He affirms the truth of the law. He, see, he teaches that there is a right and wrong way to live. He called us on a path of righteousness. He said there are certain ways to live that are better and more pleasing to God. It is good to be good. And it's good to be good regardless of what happens to you, regardless of the outcome, simply because it brings glory to God. So Jesus did affirm that. But on the other hand, Jesus understood that our world is deeply broken and the way the world is meant to be is not the way the world always is. And so he's to his disciples who say, who sinned, Jesus? Jesus is like, you knuckleheads. You're just trying to explain the world through your religious rules. That's a dumb question. The better question to ask is, how is God's grace gonna show up in the hevel? See, Jesus is always messing with people's rules and religious formulas. He recognized that this life, this world is crooked and broken and cannot be mended. And therefore there are a million ways that the rules don't apply and the formulas don't work. And what I love about Jesus is that he had a special tender heart for those who have been most beat up and left out by the religious formulas, the tax collectors, the pimps and the prostitutes and the moral and sexual outsiders. He loves those for whom the rules do not work for them. And in the end, they don't work for him. They don't work for Jesus. Because despite being the most kind, most humble, obedient, faithful human to ever live. He is betrayed by his own people, unjustly tried and condemned, abandoned by his closest friends, and dies an abandoned death alone. It is absurd. The absurdity of the world reaches its piercing pinnacle at the crucifixion of the Son of God, because there the one who made the world and ordered the world is ultimately betrayed and destroyed by the very world that he loves. It's absurd. 
So why has this happened? God does this to bring hope and meaning back into our absurd existence to show us that in the end, grace and mercy and forgiveness ultimately triumph over darkness and absurdity and chaos. We are saved, y'all, not by keeping the rules, but by grace and grace alone. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he promises a day, as it says in Revelation, that the old order of things, this order, this absurd order that we live in will pass away and the new order will infiltrate our world. And it is that order of shalom in which finally justice and mercy and kindness and love will be the forever song of our world. The shattered world will finally be mended. This is our great hope. Jesus puts us in the path of wisdom. So where does that leave us as we stumble on today? Well, let me just leave you with a couple of lessons I think that Kohelet would approve of. First, it's okay to be sad and mad. Some of you are uncomfortable with Kohelet's language when he says, I hated life, right? Because you don't hate life. You love life. You're an optimist. Life is good. Maybe you have a life is good sticker on your car. And, 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 you know, Kohelet would probably want to remove it and put a life is vapor sticker on your car. Maybe we'll make those. Um, but whatever, right? Like for you, this just doesn't resonate with you. There's others of you here who do hate life right now, though. And I know because I talk to you. And, and maybe you even feel bad that you do. And you're, you feel like, well, I'm a Christian. I should be happy or joyful or whatever. I just want you to see that it's okay. Uh, and, that, and that sometimes there are things that happen in life that are so horrible and so cruel and so inexplicable and absurd that the very best way to respond is by hating it. Sometimes there are just those things. And there, are, there is a whole tradition in scripture called lament. You know, more than half of the Psalms are lament. And the entire book of the Bible is called Lamentations that are just people crying out and grieving and shaking their fists at a God in a world they don't understand. This is scripture, y'all. Scripture. And God welcomes it. Sometimes the very best thing to do in the face of our absurd world is to hate. But remember when you cry that your tears fall not because life is meaningless, because it isn't. Life, you are crying because life is so meaningful. And you know it deep down. You know that we are not meant for a world like this. You know we are meant for a world of shalom. And like sitting at a dining table crying because the person that you once loved is no longer there, you are grieving for a world that once was but has been lost and yet is coming again. That's the world you're crying for. And so because of Jesus, we can hold on to hope in our grief because even our deepest sorrows can and will be resurrected. They really will because of Jesus. You may have friends. You might not hate life, but you probably have friends who do. And let me just say this. It is unlikely they need from you a quick, pious answer to fix their pain. When people's lives go horribly wrong, the last thing they need to be told is that they screwed up. They don't need formulas and principles. I'll tell you what they need. They need your presence. They, 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 need, they need for you to come alongside them and sit with them in the darkness and actually feel with them the absurdity and pain of what they're enduring. That's what they need. Sometimes, often, our lives go wrong, not because we've lived as fools, but because the world is hebel. You just got to feel that sometimes. So it's okay. And, and the other thing I want to say is this. Dependence is always better than control. Yeah, it feels safe when you think you can master life. Our world is so scary. 
And the future feels so uncertain right now. And the more you think you can control the outcomes of your life for your kids and your family and your marriage and your future and your health and your finances, I know, the safer you'll feel. My wife, Sarah, calls it um, the evangelical blessing formula. It's a very attractive formula, promise, right? Keep the rules plus trust in God equals a prosperous and happy family. Here's the problem. Not only will that make you a judgmental person, but when your life doesn't turn out the way you planned, you will either fall into shame because clearly you've done something wrong, or you will fall into anger because God didn't keep up his side of the deal. Here's the good news. We're not moralists. We're Christians, and we do not trust in the moral order. We trust in Jesus Christ. And so while we know there is a good way to live, and while we know there is a moral order and there is an ethical way to approach life, we also know this, living the right way guarantees nothing and does not prevent suffering and pain. There will be so many things that happen to you that are just absurd because they don't make any sense. And so the better way to live is not try to control your lives, but to surrender your life to surrender your life in total dependence to the God who does actually control all things. I've learned, I'm, I, 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 I'm 46, so I know that I'm not very old to some of you, and I'm very old to others of you. But what, what I've learned is that the good life is not the safe life. The good life is not the well-explained life. The good life is not the controlled life. The good life is the dependent life, the trusting life. That alone is the way to peace in an absurd world. One of my favorite writers, Frederick Buechner, writes this. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Here is the world. This is not the world as you wished it would be. It is not the world that you hoped it would be. It is not the world that you wish you could control it to be. It is just the world. It is your life. Beautiful things and terrible things will happen to you. But take courage, because through it all, we hold fast to the one who holds us fast. We cling to the one who's triumphed over death, who is always with us, and who promises a day when all will be well. So keep trusting. My dear friends, keep waiting, keep depending. Trust not your plans, but your God. This alone is the way to wisdom. Let's pray. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have seen us in this absurd world that we live in and that in order to help us, you didn't send down a book of rules and principles to help us live better lives so that everything will work out, but that you came down in your own flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to enter into the absurdity with us. Thank you that Jesus died and experience the absurdity of the world in his own crucifixion. And thank you that he rose again to promise us a world of hope when one day all will be redeemed and even now we can taste its redemption. Help us as we come to this table to taste the hope that is ours in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.